the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner to begin today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Jesus came to rescue people from the house of Satan by restraining Satan. And when he does, he creates a new family. A new family who doesn't think he's crazy. A new family that may or may not be united to him by blood, but nevertheless, a brand new family that has a brand new characteristic. And this emphasis of the supernatural work of God making us a new family is something Jesus emphasized over and over again, and it's brought out time and again in the Old Testament as well as in the writings of the New Testament. This is an important principle. The New Testament calls this adoption. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, greetings and welcome to the broadcast. This is Abounding Grace. We're in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 21 today, looking at the true family of Jesus and what it means to be in the family of God, how we got there, and what our response is to be. Join us for a very encouraging look at our position in Christ. We are part of His family if we are His. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner once again with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. When you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, carefully observing how events in the life of Jesus are related to each other is as important as understanding the events themselves. Some of the most important truths to be found in all of the Bible are learned simply by observing the order of events in any chapter of the four Gospels. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 8 again, so you can see what I mean. The first three verses talk about Jesus Christ, the great preacher of the kingdom of God. And he has with him an entourage of women who have been affected by his preaching and are a major part of his financial supporters. In verses 4 through 8, Luke tells the parable of the sower and the soils, And in verses 11 through 15, Jesus explains this parable. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus tells us what the purpose of his parables is, and that it is to hide the truth from some and to reveal mysteries of the kingdom of God to others. Then in verses 16 through 18, Jesus tells us the gospel of the kingdom is to shine all over the world. It's not to be told to a small group of people but it is to shine throughout the world. And how you hear the preaching of the gospel is directly related to where you will spend eternity. Then in verses 19 through 21, we have our text for today, which tells us who the true family of God is. It is those who obey his will. In verses 22 through 25, we have the miracle of the calming of the storm, 
Verses 26 through 39, we, are, we see the saving of the demon-possessed Gadarene. In verses 40 through 42 and verses 49 through 56, we have the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then in verses 43 through 48, we are told of the healing of the woman with the hemorrhage simply by her touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Now notice the order of all these things that are going on here. There are some important things to be learned and some unifying themes that we must be aware of. First of all, this chapter, in this chapter, you see Jesus' concern for women. I preached almost an entire sermon on this subject from verses 1 through 3 earlier in our talks on Luke. The financial supporters of Jesus were almost all women who one way or another were affected by his preaching in a mighty way. Then look down at verses 19 through 21. He says, My brothers and my mother, here again, another woman, are the ones who do the will of God. Then in verses 43 through 48, he heals a woman with a severe bleeding. And then in verses 49 through 56, Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus. Now that's highly unusual. Because books written in that day wouldn't be as focused on the women as Jesus and Luke are in this gospel. Luke is telling us something about Jesus Christ that is very, very important. And that is, in his kingdom, women are not second-class citizens. Women are not considered inferiors. Jesus loves women. And he exalts them to a high and a, a holy place. Women are not held as highly in other religions throughout the world. Two weeks ago, we saw another theme that weaves its way through all of these events, and that is the powerful voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the effects that that voice have on our entire created order. In verses 1, 2, and 3, we see that when Jesus preaches, he changes people's lives. In the parable of the sower and the soils, the sower plants the seed of the word of God in the hearts of people's lives, and it bears fruit. In verses 9 and 10, we are told that when Jesus reveals or speaks the mysteries of the kingdom to people, it brings light into their lives. In verses 16 through 18, he says, his word is like a lamp. That when you carefully attend to it, listen to it, it brings illumination and clarification. Then in verses 19 to 21, his family members, it says, obey his voice. The voice of God, which is the voice of God. And in verse 22, by speaking, his voice calms the storm. What a powerful voice that can say to a mighty storm, stop, and it obeys. He speaks... And demons flee a man. He speaks and a young woman is brought back from the dead. He speaks and another woman is healed. This is the voice of Christ, beloved. This is the same voice that we hear in the reading and the preaching of the word of God. It is all sufficient. It is all satisfying. And it is just as powerful in its effects today as it was when Jesus himself spoke that word on earth 2,000 years ago. Sometimes the four gospel writers 
put events from Jesus' life in a different order from each other. Now, Ray read a parable passage from Mark earlier, but much of what is, was in Mark was not in the Luke passage. Did you notice that? Yet they are still considered parallel passages. Why is it that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put sometimes things in a little different order? than one another, and even sometimes include more or less detail. Is it because there are mistakes in the Bible? Was it because they disagreed with one another? No. In fact, it was because they were good authors. They were literary artists, of course, with a little help from the Holy Spirit. They didn't put in anything extraneous. Each one of these four gospel writers had a particular audience in mind to whom their book was written, and they had a particular well-defined message that they wanted to use to reach their specific audience. So when they wrote their books, the only events in the life of Christ that they included were those events that would advance or clarify or illustrate the main point being made in each of their books. And that's why you find some things in Luke that you may not find in Mark, and sometimes you find things in Mark you won't find in Luke. Each writer chooses those incidents in the life of Christ that best enforces their argument. That's the reason for the difference in order. It's not because any of them made any mistakes. Sometimes these gospel writers would put things in a a certain order so that the order itself would illustrate and enforce and point and, and enforce the point that they were making at that particular time. Let's see how Mark and Luke did this. Turn to Mark chapter 3. <clears throat> Remember, our text in Luke is about the true family of Jesus, those who do the will of God. But I want you to notice a different order in the context of each of these parallel passages. For instance, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, you see Christ choosing his 12 apostles, his true family, except for one. They did not choose to become his family. He chose them to become his family. They are his close friends and his intimate associates. They are basically his brothers. In verse 20 and 21, you see that his blood family literally thought he was crazy. And in some Bible margins, it says his own brothers and sisters thought he was crazy, that is, until his resurrection. Then in verses 22 through 30, you have this great story of Jesus saying, the reason I can cast out demons is because I have come to restrain Satan to bind the strong man so I can plunder his house and rescue people that are under his control and power. And then Mark brings in the story of Christ's true family. Those who are his true brothers and sisters are not those who are his blood kin, but those who do the will of his Father, which is in heaven. Now, what does this order tell us about our text? It tells us that the quality of life of those whom Jesus rescues from Satan's house involves a change of families and a change of character. 
Jesus came to rescue people from the house of Satan by restraining Satan. And when he does, he creates a new family. A new family who doesn't think he's crazy. A new family that may or may not be united to him by blood. But nevertheless, a brand new family that has a brand new characteristic. And this emphasis of the supernatural work of God making us a new family is something Jesus emphasized over and over again. And it's brought out time and again in the Old Testament as well as in the writings of the New Testament. This is an important principle. The New Testament calls this adoption. And I have spoken often of the biblical doctrine of adoption. Now keep in mind this is not a natural phenomenon. This is not something all human beings participate in by virtue of the fact that they are human beings. This is a supernatural work of God himself taking someone out of the family of Adam and placing him in the family of God in which that person has many new gifts. First of all, he has a new status. He's a child of God. He has a new authority. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave authority to call themselves the sons of God, even those who believe on his name. They have the authority now to tell the world, I am a child of the living God. They have new privileges as sons and daughters of God. They have a new inheritance. That inheritance is everything God is. They are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. They have a new father. Up to that point of adoption, God was their creator. And now he relates to them as his father. They have a new character and they have new responsibilities. Now their responsibilities as the children of God is to do their father's will. Now that leads us to the second thing that happens to a person who's rescued from Satan's house. His character changes. His behavior is changed. He has a new life now that is characterized by the constant doing of his father's will, deliberately, self-consciously, but of course never perfectly in this life. There's an interesting verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, where Paul is praying for people who are not Christians, and he says, I pray that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So, you see, you have two kinds of people, as far as Jesus is concerned. You have those who are held captive by Satan, so they do his will only. You know, the poor unbeliever, he thinks he is his own man or her own woman, living their own lives however they choose. They, they, they think they are free to be themselves when they have no freedom at all. But they are under the control of Satan to do his will. And in such a way that he or she thinks they are doing their own will. But the other group of people are those whom God has rescued from Satan's snares, whom Christ plundered from Satan's house. And now you can recognize them because their goal and their purpose and their trait is not to do the will of Satan any longer, but to do the will of their Father who is in heaven. And obedience to their Father's will is sure evidence 
that they have been adopted into the true family of God. By their fruits, you shall know them. Not all human beings, as I said, are members of the family of God by virtue of the fact that they are human beings. All people have God as their creator. But the only people who can relate to God as their father and whom God relates to as their father are those whom God has adopted into his family and made his own. And there is always a telltale proof by which those who are members of the family of God can be identified. And that is from those, from those who are, those actually who are under the control of Satan. And that is, their lives are characterized as doing the will of Almighty God, although they don't do it perfectly. That is clear proof. It's not some kind of feeling that we get. It's not a certain amount of knowledge that we might have. But the characteristic of every child of God is that he or she does the will of God in his or her life. Now let's be clear about this. This sure evidence is not a promise to do God's will, however sincerely it may be made. It's not a decision to do God's will. Beloved, you probably as well as I know I have, have known a lot of people who have made a decision to do God's will at least a thousand times, and they are still not doing God's will. It is not a promise. It's not a decision or desire to do God's will. It is doing God's will. This sure evidence of being a child of God is not talking about doing God's will, however knowledgeable about God's will one is. It doesn't matter how many times you've read Dr. Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law or Thomas Watson's book on the Ten Commandments or Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on the Sermon on the Mount because it is not the ability to talk about the will of God that is the mark of adoption into God's family. It is doing the will of God that is the mark of a true son or daughter of God. And this sure evidence is not studying about God's will, however diligent you study. It is doing the will of God that is the mark. This sure evidence is not simply wanting to do the will of God, however earnest one may be. This sure evidence is not occasionally doing the will of God when it is convenient. The sure evidence is an actual and constant purposing and endeavoring to do God's will instead of our own will. Whether we feel like it or not. That is the characteristic of a person rescued from Satan's house and made a member of God's family. Now let's go back to Luke. And let's see what the order of events in Luke chapter 8 tells us about the true family of God. Notice in verses 11 through 15. You have the explanation of the parable of the sower and the various soils. Then in verse 16 and 18 you have the lamp that enlightens in lightens the dark and shines all over the world. Then it is after those stories that you have people saying, Jesus to Jesus, his mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of my father. Now, what is the point Luke is making in his order of events? He is explaining the effect of the light of the gospel on a person. He has talked about the lamp that shines into a person's ears and hearts when he hears the word of God. And what kind of effect does that light have on a person who receives it properly? It makes him or her obedient to God's will. It's not simply that it makes him better equipped to out-argue with those who disagree with him. 
It's not that it makes that person more knowledgeable. It's that when the light of the gospel shines into a person's heart, it makes that person more obedient to the will of Almighty God. Not legalistically, but as a true member of God's family. That is, not to obey God to try and make points with Him to win His favor. Beloved, Jesus made all the points we need to win God's favor. It is to obey God as a loving child would obey his father. Then there's a second thing to notice from Luke's order of things. He is explaining the nature of the good soil that bore much fruit. Those hearers of the preached word of the kingdom who have heard the word with an honest and good heart prepared by God and they hold fast to it and bear fruit with perseverance will be people who submit themselves to God to obey his will, his revealed word. In fact, this obedience of life to the king and father literally forms them into a close-knit royal family with Jesus Christ himself, a kingdom family in which Christ is their king, and they are his loving and obedient servants and friends and children. As one commentator said, Jesus is saying here that he is, in the deepest sense, related not to those who, humanly speaking, were the most closely related to him physically, but to those who believed and obeyed the word of God, brought to them by him. So you see, just by looking at the order of things, it can bring out and highlight some of the great truths the gospel writers made. Now, let's compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of Jesus' words. All three of these men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoted Jesus, but with a little variance of purpose. And it's only, beloved, when you truly see the whole purpose that you can know what's going on here. Turn to Luke 8.21 and see how Luke quotes Jesus. He quotes Jesus as saying, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Mark chapter 3, verses 34 and 35 and looking about on those who, are, who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then in Matthew 12, verses 49 and 50, he says, And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, whoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now notice how each writer quoted to Jesus. Luke said those who obey the word of God are his closest kin. Matthew said those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven are Jesus' relatives. And Mark quotes Jesus as saying those who do the will of God are his brothers and mother. Now notice something about those three versions of Jesus' quote. Jesus said well, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say those who do the will of our Father who is in heaven, although we are in the same family that Jesus is in. He is our big brother, and we're his little brothers and sisters. He didn't say those who do the will of our, our Father. In fact, Jesus never spoke of God as our Father, thus including himself and his disciples. He always spoke of my Father, he never put himself in the same category with Christians and spoke of God as our Father collectively. You say, well, Gary, I know a place where he did say, my Father, and 
That is in Matthew 6, where it says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Okay, that's fine, but what does it say, the verse just before that? After this manner, pray ye. This is the way you are to pray, says Jesus. I'm not going to pray like this. I don't have to ask for forgiveness of sins. This is the way I want you to pray. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do. Reformedheritage.org. Real simple. Reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by. Reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB Post Mailbox four zero two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 